0: This is Manage Your Damn Money, the podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Ben Carter, and I am joined here with Mr. Malcolm Etheridge. Malcolm, how are you? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Hey, everybody. What's going on this week? A lot. <laughs> A, A lot. lot. You just got back in town? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, spent the week out in St. Louis. Uh, did not go see the Arch. Um,
0: <laughs> I'm not one for monuments anyway, but I'm happy to be home. There's no place like DC. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and, of course, this podcast is... The place where we like to have conversations about money, we use these conversations that we have as a platform to kind of make money less of a taboo topic. Um, So we just talk about stories that we've seen in the news, some have to do with money, some have less to do with money, Um, and we just see where the conversation takes us. So, The first story that we're actually looking at today, Malcolm, uh, there was a Washington Post op-ed recently. Where it talked about how millennials aren't buying homes, and good for them. Uh, <laughs> and just some quick stats that the, uh, append, the op-ed uh, pointed out was that the rate of millennial homeownership is way down, and that the average American home ownership across all ages is sixty three percent, but among millennials, the rate is like thirty four percent. Wow. Which is pretty like low when you talk about millennials can be anywhere between like twenty to thirty four. Right. And at thirty three do not necessarily own a home by the quote unquote American dream standards is pretty late. Yeah. yeah. Well, think about how many
1: people are still single at thirty three and thirty four too.
0: Yeah, the story did actually address that. It talked about how millennials have to are delaying marriage too. Right. Which is obviously having a cascade effect. You delay marriage, you delay having owning a home, the delay having kids, all that. Yeah, because when your
1: parents, my parents' generation bought their first home, traditionally it was together. Yeah. And so they got married at 25, 26, and they were on the, the back end. They right. were late bloomers right. to get married at 25 and 26. Right. And now folks are like 32, 33, 34, 35, right. just now looking around saying, oh man, maybe I should consider, you know. A home buy. To actually taking this this marriage thing seriously. <laughs> or they're saying, you know what, I'm gonna just buy my own house by myself and not worry about being married to do it. And so I think the dynamic has completely shifted from right. what America's used to.
0: Right. So another stat identified in the story was um, one third of eighteen to thirty-four year olds are living with their parents, and despite this, among despite despite these stats, um, among people aged twenty-five to thirty-four who rent. of them say they're likely to buy a home one day. So people want to buy homes. It's not that they don't want to. Uh, I think it's probably because they're saddled with student loan debt. Um, I know that's certainly my case. Uh, Well, not
1: even student loan debt, though. Think about about the cost of living in a lot of these places where people are, right? So you read about all these folks out there that want to buy homes, and then you look at, like, the reports that come out for the top 25 most expensive cities and stuff yeah. like that that's where all the more well educated college degreed up people gravitate towards live yes. and they can't afford to buy anything where they move to like DC is somewhere close to the top right, right. Mm-hmm. and you got San Francisco and you got New York. These are places you'd expect normally right. to have outrageous cost of living, right? Right. But Milwaukee somehow is on that list. <laughs> and when I think about places with high cost of living, Milwaukee is never going to come to no. my mind no. any sooner than the top 100. No. Right? And Detroit is creeping into that list. Wow. How the heck is Detroit <laughs> creeping into the list of the most expensive places to live? Right. So I think those kind of factors, too, are what
0: keep you in mom and dad's basement longer than you'd like to be there. Right. Um... Interesting point that you talked about geography my wife actually identified that as a key factor like in your decision whether to buy Or to continue to rent. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a catch-22 when you live in a really expensive city Because if you rent then yeah, you only have a year-to-year lease but then you also might experience the situation where you might have a change in job or maybe rent goes up by $400 and you suddenly can't afford it anymore because there's no there's not necessarily gonna be any rent controls right um so then that would behoove you in a place like D C mm-hmm. to buy something so that you can stabilize your uh, you know home cost but then at the same time things are so expensive that you can't actually afford to buy anything right. so it's like this catch-22 where it's like living in these cities is can be somewhat of a, a so am I gonna move to Cleveland or
1: Charlotte or Atlanta. Texas. Right. I, I don't want to live in any of those places. So, I, I, you
0: know, you're kind of in that catch-22 you're talking about. So. And and the story actually went on to kind of say and make the point that, and this is something that I, I've often found myself discussing with people, is, is buying a home kind of an overhyped idea or... Is it still something that should be included in our, um, you know, American institutional fabric of what we quote unquote do? Uh, it talks about how you know to buy a home, especially in these expensive places, you have to dump a huge amount of savings in this like immovable, illiquid, right. otherwise invaluable asset, which is an edifice on a street.
1: So I- I'll give you my own personal uh, story on that. I personally own a home. That I no longer wanna own. Right? Oh. It's in a place where I never intend to ever live again. So unintentionally I'm a landlord. Oh. I'm paying all the costs associated with carrying that house, whether I have a tenant or not. Where's the house at? North Carolina. Greensboro, North Carolina. Oh, man. So I've got all these different expenses that go along with owning a house that I don't even want anything to do with anymore. Okay. But because the market is where it is today, I can't turn around and sell it for a profit, and you know how much I love money. That means I can't (laughs) sell it at all. Like, if I can't sell it and make money, I'm not going to sell it at all. Right. So I don't think people take into account enough all of the different expenses and the realities that come along with home too right so you know your parents probably are putting pressure on you to jump out there and buy a house today because that was the that was the pinnacle of the american dream as far as they were concerned right. you gotta take into account things like you might move again like you mentioned before right. you gotta take into account you might want a bigger house two years after that right. because your life situation has changed those kind of things should factor into that decision more than I just went out on a home because that's the way the that's American the way you, dream is supposed told to do. Me that, right. right.
0: Um, and there's also the idea uh, of whether or not I forgot my thought. It just disappeared. <laughs> well, that's what's happened when you get old. Uh, <laughs> right. The ripe old age of twenty nine. The ripe old age of twenty nine and forgetting things. Um, so anyway, so we'll just break for a quick moment. We have some hot fire, some hot musical fire for you from uh, Beats by Beeman. He's our in-house music producer. Let's see what he's got for us this week. Beats by Beeman. by Beeman the next story that we're actually looking at everyone was really excited about this particular artist releasing his music finally after four years of being off the scene (laughs) mr. Frank Ocean uh, of course he had like a introductory mixtape thing that was like his first musical effort I can't remember what it's called strawberry swing the song was on there and then Channel Orange came out another hot album pyramids greatness and then he just went dark for four years no music for four years which is kind of like the music breaks people used to take back in the 90s like you could put out an album in the 90s and then be good for like like after Usher put out Confessions he was done for a long time I feel like they also had a, a lot of life going on back then in
1: the 90s that like you're just now finding out you know why Usher was gone for four years <laughs> <laughs> You know, Stressed, you, you like the TLC biopic that came right. out, right? And you like watching Tony Braxton's life unravel on TV, or not unravel, but like them uncovering her life right. on TV and stuff. You're getting a chance to finally, ten years later, find out <laughs> why your favorite artist disappeared off the map and right. is making this comeback album. So right. there might be more to it than than you know we ever are gonna know until we're watching Unsung twenty years from now right. and Frank Ocean's
0: on there. Unsung. So it, it's interesting. So there's actually some some drama behind Frank Ocean and his recent couple music releases he just put out recently, which everyone celebrated. Um, So he put out a 45-minute visual album called Endless. And this particular piece was released under his contracted label, uh, Universal Music Group, uh, and their Def Jam. So the next day, after he released this 45-minute visual album where he's like building a ladder or something, with wood, um, with random music playing in the background, he released a musical composition that was like an actual music album, like traditional on on iTunes, and it was called Blonde, and that was not released under Universal Music Group's Def Jam. That was released under his own label, right? And so the interesting story that they're the thing that they're talking about now is his share of profits for the. No, note that it's a free streaming video, the 45-minute visual album. Right. It's free. You can just press play, and it plays. There's no cost. His share of profit of that, I think, is 14%, whatever profit. 14% are free? 14% <laughs> are free. I don't know exactly how it works. Right. I'm sure there's a contract with Apple, because it's exclusively on Apple, I, Apple's iTunes. Um, but because he put his music out, the second album, the next day, under his label, right. he's entitled to 70% of those profits. Get paid, young
1: man. Get paid. <laughs> that, that's all I that's, I... that's my whole opinion on the whole
0: thing. Good you. Get paid. Right. So, the crazy thing is, the, the way that I read it was Frank essentially a, negotiated his approach according to what his plans were for his actual album. Right. So, he kind of... And, and I know that people always talk about or I've heard them talk about Destiny's Child still owes whoever their label is another album, Mm -hmm. right? And I mean, they haven't done one since whatever their last album was. Um, So when you sign these record deals, you owe a record company a certain amount of albums. And I think his 45-minute visual album was his contractual obligation to probably what was his final album. So did he like barely swindle slash sidestep his contractual obligations.
1: You know what? I have to assume that this is just a function of younger artists getting smarter than their predecessors. Like, if you consider LL Cool J at one point owed Def Jam 10 albums (laughs) before he was able to go out and make an independent album, Right. the average rap artist probably has four or five albums in their whole career. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And only two of those five are probably ones that we still want to listen to. I'm right. gonna use DMX for, an, for example, right? DMX. Yeah, that's DMX probably has five total albums, I think, right? Uh-huh. But there's only two of them that you listen to on a regular basis. So you listen to songs off those albums and go, oh man, DMX. Right. The other three were this just there to fulfill some contractual obligation right. realistically. Right. So to have to put out 10 whole albums, and think that we are gonna actually wanna listen to all of them? Right. Like, the only thing anybody still listens to is when I'm alone in my room, sometimes I stare at the wall. <laughs> Nobody, you know, I can't even name you the last six albums LL put out. <laughs> so hopefully, this is Frank Ocean looking at that and saying, you know what, I see what the formula is, right. I know the game now, right. and I'm gonna make sure that at least one album that I put out, I'm the one getting paid from it and not everybody else getting paid off my hard work because these guys like can put out one album and eat better than they would if they put out four or five under a major label when it's all said and done because if you have like two or three hits on it you go on tour they make all their money on tour right so that one album and all the residual that comes from the tour normally would float to the label and they cut you a check for like five dollars and say beat it right Now, fortunately, you know, he's taking control of this thing. So I wonder if that's going to kind of change the game for a lot of artists coming behind him.
0: Well, I think it already has, and I think record labels now are essentially the de facto starter kit for artists who don't necessarily have the resources to do all the things that you can do in terms of having the recording space, having the marketing wraparound uh, that labels probably provide. But once you've done, put out your initial piece of music uh, or pieces of music, it's appearing that you can kind of break away. It's, I think you earlier described it as the rookie NFL contract where you right. do your due diligence on the first couple years and then the next the next one you get paid well. You know, this like, is well, your way to break into the industry. Right. You gotta do what you gotta do. Right,
1: And then as soon as that obligation is met, get paid, young
0: man, get paid. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, that's, that's the lesson for this Frank Ocean Def Jam story. And we're actually going to take one more quick music break, and when we come back, we'll hear from Malcolm for his Money Minute, where he'll give you advice on what to do with your money.
1: balance? Well, here's a few things to consider before you contact your human resources department. Although it can be attractive, the thought of taking a loan and the interest you pay going back toward paying yourself, experts will also tell you that your 401k balance is a less expensive way to borrow money because the interest rate charged is generally lower than the rates on a traditional loan from a bank. But despite these claims, borrowing from your 401k goes against almost every time-tested principle of long-term investment. For instance, some plans have a provision in there that if you borrow from your 401k, you're prohibited from making additional contributions until the loan balance is repaid. Plus, there's also the fact that you're paying the loan back with after-tax money, so you're negating one of the biggest advantages of having a 401k, which is its tax deferral. So if the idea of taking a loan from your 401k plan crosses your mind, remember that you're shortchanging your future to finance your lifestyle today. So instead, consider scaling back on your current expenses in order to reduce the burden on your wallet. I'm Malcolm Etheridge, and this has been your Money Minute, where we answer your real-life questions about money. So send your questions to info at and
0: we'll answer them right here on the show. So our last thing that we're talking about today, Malcolm, is actually my man, the Black Mamba, <laughs> Kobe being Bryant in his retirement, his second act, he right. was a basketball player, obviously, in the for the greatest franchise in the history of the NBA, the Los Angeles Lakers. Can't argue with you there. Can't argue with that, um, says the Southern California native. And then is transitioning into becoming a venture capitalist. So essentially, Kobe... And he and this guy named Jeff Stiebel have started a $100 million uh, investment fund or investment organization where they invest in businesses kind of the same way that they do like on Shark Tank. Mm -hmm. Um, And apparently they've already done this with, uh, I think he said, what was it, 14 or four different businesses? So 14 different businesses over the last four years. Okay, so they've already invested in some, but this was kind of like the official launch of the business. Um, The firm is called, what is it, Bryant Stiebel? So they're going to be investing in businesses. Uh, Do you think Kobe's going to be on Shark Tank? You know what? I don't know that
1: Kobe wants to be on Shark Tank. So (laughs) the reason I say that is because the folks on Shark Tank are gajillionaires. Right? Like, I don't know what figure to put on it, but all of the folks on Shark Tank are worth more than Kobe is. And not to knock Kobe at all, right? Right. Because Kobe is far more wealthy than I might ever be in my lifetime right (laughs) and the two of us combined might not see Kobe money right but at the same time Kobe is used to being a big fish in a big pond right it's probably very hard for him to then go in the littlest fish <laughs> in that Shark Tank. No pun intended. It would, it would still but,
0: be it would still be entertaining. Oh, time.
1: it would be very entertaining, and I, I don't know that they need him on there for ratings purposes. Right. Uh-huh. It would be very entertaining to watch him on there, but at the same time, I just feel like stack ranking him next to all those folks. Like, That'll be interesting. Mark Cuban used to own one of Mark Cuban owns one of the teams that Kobe used to play against <laughs> on a perennial basis, right, right. in the playoffs. How do you go up against that guy, bidding on you know business opportunities and so on and so on? Might be interesting, you know, for us It'll the be fan.
0: Interesting TV, for sure.
1: But I don't know that Kobe and, uh, and, and his
0: ego will allow himself
1: <laughs> to, to be subjected to the likes of Mark Cuban and
0: Kevin O'Leary and right. you know that sort right. of thing. Um, a little more seriously than him being on the TV show Shark Tank is like what does it say about Kobe for one? about transitioning to kind of a really extreme explicit business venture um, like starting a venture venture capitalist firm like what does that say about Kobe Bryant and what he's trying to transition to
1: I don't know that that's extreme though and the reason I say that is Kobe strikes me as a guy who likes to know something about everything and he strikes me as a guy take the time to educate himself on whatever that thing is sure and so it's like this is just one more piece to the puzzle of the overall kobe bryant story where you know guys talk about how you know kobe knows eight languages fluently right wow you don't wake up and accidentally yeah yeah he's he's fluent in eight different languages you don't wake up and accidentally Nerdy. Pop in a Rosetta Stone, and all of a sudden, you know Italian fluently, right? right. Like, I understand knowing English right. and Spanish or English right. and French or whatever, right. fluent your native tongue, right? But this dude is fluent in <laughs> Russian, right? Like, what? when is he ever going to get a chance to use that? That's but crazy. that's the kind of guy that he is. Right. That when he's interested in something, he dedicates. He's a little obsessed. The time it takes to to get it done. And some might call it obsessive, but it just doesn't surprise yeah. me that. He would figure out a way to align himself right. with a guy who's a very well-versed investor right. and a very well-versed venture capitalist. Jeff Steeble, right. Mm-hmm. Jeff Steeble at one point in time, was Kobe's financial advisor. Oh, wow. And so for the last four years, he's been kind of taking him out into the water to invest on his own the same way and Jeff that does. That he's done. Right, the same way the big boys do at venture right. capital firms so that Kobe could get a chance to learn the ropes, see how deals are structured, learn right. some of the terminology, and find out if this is something he ultimately wants to do. So right. It's not like he just woke up today, two months after retiring, and said, you know what? I got $100 million I can blow I'm through. I'm going to start a venture capital firm. It, right? No, he's been methodically working at this for a while.
0: And so what does that really say? I guess the broader lesson for, for I guess athletes and other momentarily high-yielding earners um, or high, high, yeah, high earners about thinking about your next move. You should always be thinking about your next move.
1: Right. Even as you're starting the one you're on now, right? You should always be thinking about your next three moves. Um, another person I admire who's in a similar position is LeBron James. Yeah. LeBron James is far more than a basketball player. Yeah. So if you consider the fact that this dude was like 16, 17 years old in Akron, Ohio, playing yeah. basketball with college players at Ohio State. Right. Everybody's like, this dude's gonna be the best basketball player ever and that's all they ever gave him, you know, as well, an that's option. All, that's all you would think about. That's probably all he thought about himself. Right. But then he got there and started expanding his brand and his mind and LeBron James was tied to the deal with Beats when they sold to Apple and made thirty million dollars wow. off that deal. I
0: didn't LeBron know. LeBron
1: James is the executive producer of two shows on stars.
0: Right. And also is executive producer of a reality show, um Cleveland Hustle on CNBC. So,
1: LeBron James' Cleveland Hustle show is him effectively doing something similar to what right. Kobe's going around doing. The difference is he's investing in local businesses in Cleveland right. Right. with his own cash money, right. and it has a little bit more of a heartfelt approach yeah, to it. It's sure, not man. just a capitalistic. It's a know,
0: heart tie there. Right.
1: right. right. Now, he's going to make some money, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, it's more about. His brand, and LeBron's a great guy. And we love, But this right. dude donated like $40 million in scholarship money to send a 1,000 kids to college. Wow. LeBron never went to college. Wow. Probably never even considered it as an option, right? He doesn't need to. But yeah. he sees the value in education and is Absolutely. willing to put his money where his mouth is. So you see guys like that expanding their brand far beyond basketball, even right. though... When they first came into the league, their plan was, "I want to be the best basketball player ever." Right, and, and then th- they got there, and you got to think about what's going to be my next move after this.
0: And it's interesting because a lot of players are now kind of taking this business acumen. It's happening earlier, um, yes. at least the thought process. I think it's happening earlier and earlier. Uh, Russell Westbrook even has a couple of like fashion deals where mm-hmm. he's creating his own like I think pair pair. Of, he has a glasses line, like mm-hmm. sunglasses line. Um, and so he's doing it. Um, you, you were talking about LeBron. I know LeBron is like a, a partial stake owner in a um, European soccer team. <laughs> like, I forget which one. Maybe it's Arsenal or one of those um, overseas, like one of the popular See, the Arsenal or Man U. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a partial owner in that, and it's like super silent. Yeah. Like, no one really talks about it or knows about it. Um, but he said, I think it was like seven or eight years
1: ago, uh, when he was considering what team to move to and all that kind of stuff, when he was leaving Cleveland, mm-hmm. he said, I want to be the first billion dollar athlete this country <laughs> has ever seen. He said it any minute, obviously, um, because he surrounded himself with really good advisors. He surrounded himself with forward-thinking people, and he also was willing to put his money where his mouth is. So right. he, he's well on his way to, well to his realizing
0: way. that dream Absolutely. of being the first billion-dollar athlete. And even in a way, more so than what I mean, Kobe, Kobe Bryant's now making the transition into like full-flourished businessman, um, I think we understand to some extent how Michael Jordan, Jordan was able to pivot his brand into a business element for himself, and mm-hmm. I'm sure... uh, Two Magic Johnson is also a good example of that. Um, But LeBron's doing it so early Mm -hmm. and so effectively, still while being in the peak of his basketball career. It's kind of amazing. You know
1: what's also funny about the LeBron-Kobe situation? I haven't heard much about Michael and I haven't heard much about Magic, but specifically LeBron and Kobe. I've heard people criticize not, I don't know how close personal friends, but people who have been close enough to have gone to dinner and lunch and stuff, with teammates and all that kind of stuff, I've heard people criticize LeBron and Kobe individually for making them split the check with them, which I think is really funny. <laughs> like, that tells you how these guys are with their money right. to the point where I just made $30 million on a right. deal selling headphones, and I'm still going to make you split the check when we go out to, to Papado's or whatever, right? Did
0: you hear that story of Tiger Woods? He went to... Like train with some Marines, and they all went out to eat after. And then when the check came, he was just kind of like, "Yeah, so we gonna like split this." (laughs) But but, so my the whole
1: reason I brought that up was, and good for Tiger, by the way. Right. But the whole reason I brought that whole thing up was because that's the kind of mindset you have to have if you are going to be the billion dollar athlete. Right. Because if you're making thirty and spending twenty nine, what have you really accomplished?
0: Right. Right. And and look. Our dose check is a micro <laughs> of this experience right? right we need to make more than we spend right interesting interesting so Kobe Bryant Bryant Stebel that was actually our, our, our last story for this episode Good stuff good stuff good stuff man so uh, we just want to remind you that all these stories have been posted to our Facebook page that's facebook.com backslash manage your damn money if you want to read any more about these stories. Um, and if you have any other questions about what we do you can visit our website at managerdamnmoney.com. and then of course if you want to find myself or Malcolm my social media handles are across all of them at mydm1 and I'm uh, at Malcolm on money, all social media handles as well all social media, so follow us there and we want to thank you once again for having joined us here on Manager Damn Money, the podcast thanks for pressing play and we'll see you next time they say that money made the world.